your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello and uh, welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. Uh, I am the interview content editor, Jimmy Gasparro, and I am here with our next exciting installment of the podcast. I am here with uh, writer Matthew Wilding and artist Matt Rowe. Uh, they are here to talk about their uh, newest Kickstarter collaboration, currently funding right now, called Free Hands. And uh, we're going to talk all about that, uh, probably get into some of their other projects, as uh, well as what I think might have been their first collaboration, Nightmare Man, uh, which was uh, a favorite of mine. And um, well, without further ado, welcome Matthew and Matt to the podcast. Thanks for having us, man. <laughs> cue the cue the applause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should have I like would... an applause button, like a old fashioned, like a like a eighties nineties yes. radio guy, like just yeah. like tons of sound effects. That would um, be great. <laughs> a whole soundboard. That would be neat. Yeah. Um, no, but so, well, let's start first off with, uh, as I start most things, since um, we're now over two years into a, a global pandemic, how have both of you, you know, uh, weathered the past two years? Uh, uh, Matthew, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I weathered the, the past two years by deciding to get into making comic books. Uh, so that's been <laughs> how I've coped with it. Uh, and it's gone pretty well, all things considered. Um, you know, I, I don't have kids and I haven't gotten sick and my, my family hasn't gotten sick. And so um, it's, I think, probably been a bit easier for me than, than for a lot of other folks. Uh, so I'm just grateful to have not really had to, to struggle super hard and to have had a little bit more time to, to write and dive into some of the work I wanted to do. Oh, awesome. Um, well, I'm glad to hear it's uh, going well uh, for the most part. I mean, as well as it can be for anybody. Matt, how about you? How are you doing? Uh Pretty well. Um, like Wilding, I'm grateful for not being sick or anything like that. I had no no issues um, throughout the pandemic, but just spent the past couple of years um, just being a recluse, really, making art, drawing <laughs> comics. That's about it. I don't know how well my social skills are uh, coming across, but uh, yeah. That's not this right. is only the third time that Matt's talked to another human being in the past two years. <laughs> Well, look, that's that's fine. Um, I feel like I feel like anyone who's gotten into any type of creative field, whether it's comic books or, or anything else already, um, you know, probably has a little bit of a, a different personality, at least most of the ones I've met. Um, uh, so I, I think I think that's fine. We're not going to worry about social skills. We're just go, we're just going to do our best here. OK, we're just going to do that's our best. the that's the thing, right? Like it, uh, being in the bubble, it's great for you know, the creative mind, building worlds, drawing characters, coming up with cool ideas, but it's not very great for going out for anything, really anything else, <laughs> going to the grocery store, going out for drinks, getting a drink at the convenience stores, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really good, like, hiding in my office at work yeah. and uh, hanging out with the kids, but the idea of we've had a couple of, like, group events like a party or like a social gathering that had more than like 20 to 30 people and i'm like oh i could have 
could have done without this, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and God I've forbid working... anyone coughs. Oh yeah, my right. goodness. I've been working in a museum the entire time, so I, I'm I, I'm kind of not affected by the 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 social breakdowns. Uh, I it had been weird for a really long time. I ta- I essentially talk in front of people for a living a lot of the time. Uh, and uh, not having having masks on all the time and, and having all your visitors also have masks on all the time was really strange because, uh, you know, social cues are important when you're telling stories. Uh, and, oh, yeah. Uh, and delivery is important, you know, like you, you can't necessarily catch every inflection from a speaker when they have a, a thing of fabric on their face. Uh, so it was that was strange. That was, that was really odd. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I had my first jury trial in in 10 years in um, in August. And it was like, uh, what I've told everyone was it was like practicing at a hockey game because everyone was behind plexiglass. Everyone right. was in masks. And it was a very surreal experience because you're, you know, you're you're asking questions. But when you have to make your oral and closing arguments or opening and closing arguments, you're 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 trying to be persuasive and tie everything together. And it's difficult to read, if you know. It's normally difficult to read if the jury's getting it, but you know, especially when everyone's behind plexiglass and in masks, and it was a very, it was, it was a very odd experience <laughs> to go through that. But uh, yeah, but I made it through. Um, so in any event, did you win? Uh, uh it was a, a hung jury and a mistrial. So great. It's a it's a push. <laughs> I've, had, I've had three jury trials in my career, and I'm one one and one. <laughs> <laughs> at least you know um, how it feels on every level right yeah 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 win yeah. loss and then a, a draw i guess um uh, but in any event so let's get right into uh what we're really here to talk about tonight which is uh free hands which you were uh, kind enough to send over uh, a pdf of it so i i got to read it and i actually feel like this was a script maybe i saw matthew from you some time ago that i had i'd taken a look at mm-hmm. um you know uh and i thoroughly enjoyed it uh, i mean i i it feels very different from any other like pirate comic um i really didn't know you know exactly like what to expect but it's very character driven and um uh i really i loved it um and matt i'll get into it more you know in terms of like the artwork is just more of what i you know come to expect from you with nightmare man with uh, the eternal dieback um really great some really great you know character moments throughout um i don't want to you know spoil anything i want people to go out and uh and back it but so why in terms of you know um matthew with you know, if I'm looking at Nightmare Man and I'm looking at some of the shorts you did for Small Bites and then, you know, this, like, how did your kind of journey over the past couple of years lead to, you know, this very, I don't know, almost like anti-authoritarian pirate comic? Yeah, uh, so it's funny, actually. So I started writing Freehands first. I actually started writing freehands before Nightmare Man and before everything in Small Bites and, and before everything. It was the first thing I ever tried to write. I've been trying to write freehands since I think 2006. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, I had a bunch of false starts on it, tried to write it as a novel uh, and for a variety of reasons, abandoned it a bunch of times. Uh, but I, I came up with the idea when I was in college. Uh, it, it's related to um, the pirate work I did uh, as an undergraduate 
uh, I have a couple of degrees in American history and um, I work I work in public history. And there's some really, really great um, stories about uh, the way the pirate community uh, kind of seized power for themselves for these temporary periods. Uh, what uh, I believe it was Blackheart Roberts said, a short life, but a happy one. Um, and I, I, I was really, I was really interested in the arc of the golden age of piracy and how it related to the city I live in. I live in Boston, um, and particularly, um, a pirate named, uh, William Fly, who kind of came at the, the back end and who actually was kind of dragged out in front of, uh, a religious leader in Boston and had to kind of explain himself. I thought it was a really interesting idea mm -hmm. uh, and a really cool opportunity to talk about, you know, who, who was really committing crimes. Uh, and who was responsible for the lives of the people in the time. That felt really parallel to the world we're living in right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot in my in my work about how American history is related to right now, like why, why does a historical event matter? So um, all that kind of informed um, my desire to write this and, and also to, you know, to write a a pirate adventure it's it, at its core it's a it's a adventure in the high seas and it starts out uh as you'll see in in issue one uh mostly in in almost a trial uh, uh in, a, in a church uh, but it's it's about a journey of a group of people who want to you know uh, seize freedom for themselves uh and and how that looks from each pirate's perspective and who they're willing to take freedom and power from uh is really the core question of the story Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, the, the first thing that I think getting into it, and you said it kind of starts with a, you know, a, a trial, but it, it's the the government at the time is so still intertwined with religion, um, and especially in New England and the early colonies. But um, I, I guess the, the first thing that kind of ticked my ear going through it is the sense that corrupt religious leaders really can justify any type of behavior whether mm -hmm. it's the negative or what they consider the positive through by, by use of the same you know text or ideology um got me right into it. i was in i was like okay i like i like and that like was one of the things i loved about it too is it <laughs> felt very relatable for this day and age mm -hmm. and with the and, corruption and leadership and such yeah i mean man i just wanted to ask you know from your perspective um in terms of when you get the script and you start thinking about, you know, how to to, you know, to, to lay it out in terms of the panels and in terms of what it is you're going to do. I mean, it it really has kind of like everything in there. There's uh, some very dramatic scenes. You got some great close ups and emotionality on the faces. There's plenty of opportunities for fighting and things to get a little bloody was there anything that you were really without giving anything away kind of excited to dive into and get to draw and was there any and also the other side of that coin was there anything particularly difficult where you're like really wilding you, you want me to do that i'm gonna be i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna lay it on the table to be honest yeah man i, I didn't here? want this i didn't want it i want to do uh a horror book and he's <laughs> like well i got this pirate thing the first thing that ran through my mind was pirate hats you got, can I swear on here? <laughs> yeah, you gotta yeah, be go fucking ahead. kidding me. Pirate hats. <laughs> go ahead and break down that structure. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll read the script. The guy hasn't let me down yet. And honestly, it spoke to me. Aside from the 
really just fascinating, unique characters that he brought to the, that Wilding brought to the table and that uh, we both helped uh, bring to life. Um, it was a story at its core about freedom and the lengths that you'll go to obtain that. And for me, um, as a comic book artist, it's, uh, it's not the easiest job to uh, keep afloat. I'm going to be honest, you know, a lot of people uh, have to do this on the side, day job mm-hmm. and such, things like that. So it's just what does freedom mean to you personally? What is, what's it worth to keep and what lengths will you go to keep it? And, and then on the, uh, the art front of it, um, it did. It had a lot of really great things to draw. It had a lot of really not great things to draw like that. <laughs> But uh, once I was able to sketch those out and uh, do a little study on them, it, it wasn't wasn't too much of a problem. The thing about Wilding's writing is uh, he writes such uh, gritty, um, gritty realism, honestly. And it can be it can be Nightmare Man, it can be pirates, it can be um, all of the crazy world building and just stories that were in um small bites in, in the anthology there but um i'm sorry i lost my train of thought you're talking about yeah. great i am yeah you're, you're just great yeah. you're just you're amazing just, just i know it's, the uh, list is so long <laughs> but what it did uh yeah it's just great i love drawing it and um Oh yes, the, the the gritty realism um, I think fits really well with uh, the the noir sharp um, style that I'm I'm trying to shoot with mm-hmm. for my artwork. Nice. Yeah, and Matt Matt really turned the story into into a you know a, I keep calling it a pirate noir. Uh, it, <laughs> at its core, when I wrote it, it, it had a lot of uh, you know mystery and uh, and noir elements to it, but I I didn't instruct. In that in that way, Matt and I uh, work pretty loosely together, uh, as far as um, my instruction about about stuff in the scripts versus how he draws it. I tend to be like, yeah, if you can, if you think you can make this page better, just go ahead and make it. Uh, and when I put specifics in a script, it's like, oh well, that, that's got to be on the page because mm-hmm. there's a that's a there's a reason that I explained that. Uh, but I tend to try to not do that. And so Matt turned, uh, you know, 18th century Boston into a fucking hellscape uh and just really upsetting place uh and uh you know brought the docks uh of um i think it's north carolina alive really well uh and um the the mutiny and i don't think i'm giving anything away to suggest that a pirate book has a mutiny in it uh he makes he makes the mutiny feel you know pretty intense and and pretty Mm -hmm. real and pretty uh pretty bleak yeah and before we go too too uh, too much further, I did want to point out that uh, in addition to the two of you, there was uh, I guess coloring assist work by uh, Marion Lowe, and it was lettered by uh, Tobin uh, Rossico. Tobin, and, yeah, I c- couldn't do what I do without Marion. In all honesty, you'd still yeah. be waiting on the pages. <laughs> I mean, e- excellent work uh, by both mm-hmm. of them. Um, the the colors in the book are great, um, but I a couple of things. Um, I wanted to get back to something you said, Wilding, or about um, like a pirate in a war, uh, or maybe Matt said that first. But um, sorry if I'm calling you by your last name, Matthew. <laughs> it's just like Matt Matthew. It's easier. Is that okay? Or yeah, yeah, you can call us whatever you want. Okay, great. I'll do that. Uh, <laughs> We're also we also go by Matt one and Matt two. Uh, Rose one and two. Uh, uh, artist and writer. 
Yeah, um, we go by as, as the masses. We've got the masses. Um, no, I was going to say one of the things I really appreciated, Matt, is that it it can be difficult when you're you're you have a a couple of really intense characters, in particular when you're you're showing the the pirates going through their their daily struggles and and what happens on the boat, um, where everyone just kind of looks the same except for your one or two or three main characters. I felt that like. The, the, all the pirates were very distinct, so I didn't have to go back to the panels to try and figure out, like, who was who. There were certain clues in the clothing and the faces and the coloring that really set off who everybody was, which I thought, like, was great. I was never confused about who any of the characters were. And sometimes in a crowd scene, you're like, wait, who is the one I'm supposed to be paying attention to? Sometimes... You know, it might be there in the dialogue or the lettering, but visually it can be difficult because you're drawing, you know, a lot of people. Um, Thank you. But I, yeah, I, I, worked, I, I worked hard on that. Um, this is the biggest cast I've ever had to draw in, in any book. So having each pirate or character looking unique visually was really important to me. Yeah, well, it was also it, it was also super important. We, we actually talked a lot about this because uh, as, as Matt knows, and as you all find out, Every character in this first book uh, plays a pretty central role throughout the series, mm -hmm. uh, and there's actually like three or four more characters that are that are going to be uh, uh, demonstrably central uh, in different parts of the book. So yeah, Matt Matt did a really great job of, of just distinguishing between all of them because it's so important that you understand who's who. Right. Okay. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. But yeah, it was a it was well done um and also the idea of uh, you know calling this a pirate in a war and it, it's interesting that you started writing it in 2006 because you know pirates like maybe westerns or one of the genres if you know if it is its own genre that kind of has like an ebb and flow within you know popular culture when like the pirates of the caribbean movies you know first hit and and now um you know, there, with, there's things like black sails and our flag means death, where it seems like, oh, even though you've been writing this for a while, you're kind of right at this peak uh, where pirate stuff, whether it's TV or movies, are kind of back in the collective conscience again. And the idea, like you see our, our flag means death, which is kind of a almost like a like a farcical romance. And now the idea of like a pirate noir um makes you know it does it's makes a lot of sense when you see it on the page and you're like oh yeah why why wouldn't this work why don't we take some of those things like you know the narration and like maybe amoral characters and some of the things we know for noir and put it in this pirate setting and um yeah it's very interesting very captivating it was really it was funny you're right you're right it, it it's very convenient for me that that i uh, i was so such a slow writer that I, I was able to get back to the top of the cycle um but i i did i did watch i've only watched the first episode of this flag means death because uh as soon as i started watching it i was like this cast is structured exactly the same way as the freehands cast uh and for good reason there, there's historical pirate figures uh who clearly were both drawing on uh, yeah, Steve Bonnie and uh, uh, right. you know, Black Bart Roberts, uh, Blackbeard, uh, Blackbeard, yeah. sure. Yeah, there, there's 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 all kinds of of famous uh, pirates uh, that fit really well into a an ensemble cast story. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're uh, so it's obvious that you know we made some of the choices we made. Uh, but I was like, I need to stop watching this because I haven't finished the sixth script, and I don't <laughs> I don't want to to put any of it in here. <laughs> Yeah, I purposely haven't picked up Black Sails or Our Flag Means Death. 
um, since getting the the script from you. It's like it's got to be your own. I don't want any influence, even if it was just by mistake. Right. Yeah. No, I get it. I yeah, I get it. Well, once once it's all done, then you can go back and if you want to revisit yeah. like any of those right. things. Uh, oh, I can. definitely am going to watch them. Yeah, I just yeah, right now. absolutely. <laughs> so talk to me um, about about your work in college uh, and in terms of with the museum. So is sure. what museum are, are you at? Is it all geared towards, you know, that Boston, New England, early America type of stuff? Yeah, so um, so I work at Revolutionary Spaces, which operates um, the uh, Old State House and Old South Meeting House on Boston's Freedom Trail, uh, two pretty core colonial sites uh, in in American history. Uh, the Old State House is the seat of British power in Boston. It's where uh, the the uh, Declaration of Independence is read for the first time in Massachusetts. Uh, the Boston Massacre happened right outside, uh, and the Old South Meeting House is where the Boston Tea Party meeting happened. Uh, and so I, I've been pretty seeped in colonial history for most of my adult life. Uh, I went to school at Suffolk University on Beacon Hill in Boston, right next to these historic sites. And I was lucky enough to kind of stumble into a, a class uh, taught by a, a really great uh, revolutionary and Boston historian named Robert Allison, who got me really excited about the period. Uh, and then uh, a guy named Stephen O'Neill taught a pirate class. I was actually in his first class. Uh, it was at, I think it was at eight in the morning on the sixth floor of a building that only had one elevator. Uh, so you had to get there by like 7.40 to like get to the class. Uh, and it was three times a week, awful, just a terrible time for a class that was full every day because it was a pirate class. Um, and Stephen O'Neill just did a really great job of you know, storytelling and, and building building this this historical context for uh, for piracy. And he had us read, um, you know, period uh, and or, or very old documents about uh, and accounts of pirates, like the general history of the pirates by Captain Johnson, uh, the Exquemlon uh, Pirates of the New England Coast, which is a couple hundred years old. But then he also had us uh, read a lot of work by uh, people like Marcus Redeker. Uh, who, um, between his books, the uh, between the devil and the deep blue, the deep blue sea, and uh, villains of uh, villains of all nations, I believe it's called. Uh, he really built this kind of proto-socialist narrative about piracy, uh, that pirates uh, were essentially a communal system uh, that predated Marxism, uh, that was trying to seize power for themselves, and had a network that could essentially trace most crewmen, crewmen and captains. Uh, to specific places and to specific ports, and, and they had relationships uh, that that made uh, made the infrastructure of piracy not a random s series of violent acts, but a, a really logical political movement uh, towards freedom in the 18th century. And I just that just stuck with me. I just thought it was such a great, great, great explanation for how this thing happens. And you see on these ships, uh, it's not just you know, men, uh, you know, white men who are uh, who are rebelling, you see them bringing on black crewmen and, and there are it's it's generally frowned upon, but there are a handful of women, uh, most of whom are, are pretending to be men uh, who are rejecting 18th century, mostly European culture uh, and the restrictions that are put on them to get just a piece of life for themselves. Uh, and that's so compelling to, I think, everybody who works uh, uh, a desk job 
right? That like, like, oh, we, there's a, there could be a way where I could just have a, have a year of just pure unadulterated adventure where I get to do essentially exactly what I want. Right. Um, and so I just found that really appealing. Yeah. Well, when you put it like you that, where I sign up. Me. Yeah. <laughs> you can see how you sold me. Right. Yeah, the, just... the, 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 the problem is you die at the end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a short life, but a good one. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's, you know, and this will this will come through later in the story, but it, you know, this is an, an historical record. So again, not much of a spoiler, but there are so few uh, pirates who actually die or uh, captains who actually die uh, in battle. Most of them are executed. Uh, but the ones the ones who do, um, most notably Black Bart and Blackbeard, uh, you know, they die in these like crazy, her quote unquote, heroic ways uh, that become stuff of legend. Black Bart gets hit with a cannonball and his last words are blow up the ship. Uh, you know, Black Blackbeard uh, reportedly kills like dozens of men uh, and uh, has, you know, pistols braced on uh, across his chest and two different straps and is just pulling them and shooting them, pull, uh, shooting point blank. At, at, uh, at British officers who are, are, are attacking him on a ship. And then allegedly they cut his head off and throw him into the ocean. And then his body swims lamps around the boat, <laughs> uh, around the ship. I mean, that's a, that's, that's grand narrative. Right. And then, uh, you, so you, when you have heroic narratives like that, um, it, like grand adventure narratives with tragic antiheroes dying in, in dramatic ways and then becoming stuff of legend, that's I mean that's comic book writing one on one. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I can definitely see how he uh, how he sold you on it, Matt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's relentless, but uh, so am I, and I think that's what makes us such a good team uh, for this this crazy industry. Well, talk to me, Matt, a little bit about like your your the process in and of itself. Um, I have no, I have like zero artistic ability, so I'm always fascinated with how you know, artists get started. I mean, you, do you, you work digitally? I, I believe. Um, for this one, I did actually, this, this particular project was pretty difficult for me. Um, one thing that I'd say most comic artists do is they storyboard the project. And I find talking to my peers and even just from personal experience that storyboarding is one of the, the most difficult, um, processes and developing the art for the book that's where i read the script i get into the emotional mindset um you mentioned some of the tortured scenes in the book that are just pretty brutal honestly mm -hmm. and to get the right shots get the right um emotional expressions in the faces you know you kind of you gotta put yourself there so for this book i uh i storyboarded the entire thing with nothing but printer paper and a pencil. And then I uh, scan that into my iPad Pro, penciled it, inked it, sent it to Marion for uh, flats. She sent it back, I adjusted them. And uh, bing, bang, boom, that's the magic. <laughs> so you, so wait, you you so you drew everything, you storyboarded everything out, just printer paper and a pencil, and then scanned mm -hmm. everything in that way. And then did yeah. you have to touch up things once they were scanned in digitally? Like, did you then write over no, it? Or the the storyboards are pretty small. I'd say like put like two thumbs together. That's probably the size of the storyboard. And then I'll blow that up on my screen. And it's good to keep it small like that at first because you can get the 
gestures and I'll have all my notes along the side of the things that I need to, to know. But just from my scribbles that I send to Wilding that he somehow is able to decipher, I, I know going back to it, like it's almost like my own language that, oh yeah, this scene means this. This lighting is supposed to be over here because this is going to create more of a thrilling atmosphere for when this character walks to the side here, um, et cetera, just things like that. And his notes on his on his on his thumbnails are all, are actually very clear. Uh, he he he's trying to downplay like his uh, he doesn't he doesn't make very very clear uh, documentation of what what every little swiggly line is. Uh, but there are you know dozens of notes all over these thumbnails, uh, explaining very clearly what's supposed to be in places. Uh, so I'm I'm not particularly led astray. Well, your writing is important. And I just, I mean, like if it's in the script, it is important. Sometimes things need to be moved around, shifted or squeezed together a little bit. But if it's been written, it's important and it should be in the book. Man, all right. Well, now I can get a clear uh, clear example of how the, the two of you um, uh, work together. Um, but, but speaking of work together with like, was it a similar process with uh, Nightmare Man? I, I'd say so. Um, yeah. Nightmare Man wasn't even our first gig no, together. Um, I met Wilding on the wasteland of Reddit comic book collabs. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I figured, you know, I was, I was at that, I was in the point of, I'm just doing freelance work. Here's another paying gig. I'll knock this out and probably won't ever hear from him again. So I finished it off and he's like, hey, I got this other thing. We should do, and I'm like, you should. You liked that. You liked that work. And I just all right. So then you know felt a little bit more promising. So I picked up Nightmare Man with him, and yeah, you want to take it away? <laughs> yeah, I just kept sending scripts. Yeah, um, pretty much. <laughs> so I'm like, and I I feel like I'm getting too much credit here for uh, appreciating Matt's work. I'm just really deeply lazy, and so. Uh, I had already, I, I didn't, I, I think I made it clear earlier, I didn't know what I was doing when I started uh, making comics. It was, you know, it was in, the, it was right in the early part of the pandemic. Um, I ended up doing um, Gail Simone's uh, uh, comic school on, on Twitter after years of false starts of, of trying to make comics. Uh, I had been talking to an old friend, childhood friend of mine, uh, who happened to be writing comics uh, professionally at that point? His name is Michael Michael W. Conrad. Conrad. He he does Wonder Woman and Batgirls now, but he's just like a guy I know from basement shows in the early two thousands in Boston. Uh, and so I was like, "What do I do?" And he was like, "This this pirate thing is way too big. Calm down. Do something smaller." Uh, and um, so he was like, "You know, do, do something smaller. Do something manageable." And then you know, Gail said essentially the exact same thing. Uh, so the first the first short I did was uh, was uh, uh, kind of a sad medical story, uh, and uh, someone else in comic school drew it for me. Uh, but then I wrote little things based on a, 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 a mentally ill person who used to walk around my hometown who had a bag, and he always said, uh, "Kids always said to him, what's in the bag?" And he'd just giggle and he'd say little things, uh, which was scary yeah uh and so uh yeah so in little things i essentially just wrote a story about like well what's what's the best scenario for why that man acts that way like what's the most reasonable thing for him 
and the the conclusion I came to is uh, the the bag is like a ha, has a Lovecraftian inexplicable thing inside it that anyone else if they saw it it would completely break them but this guy is so strong they can carry it uh, and so I wrote wrote this 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 eight page story uh, I worked with another artist who uh, flaked on me and then I was like I don't know what to do and Roe responded to my Reddit thing and then kept responding to my emails. And so uh, now now we work together all the time. Oh, man, it's also a real human being. <laughs> yeah, it's also <laughs> worth knowing, though, Matt and I had a, so I, again, didn't know what I was doing. So I, I was like, we should have a phone call, which I've found is not actually a common thing uh, among comic collaborators, a lot of comic <laughs> collaborators. Uh, like I've worked with, with, with artists who I've never spoken to. They've just, you know, they've taken my script, they send the art back. Uh, but I was like, we should have a conversation. And Matt and I both kind of very clearly early on were like, yeah, just tell me if there's a problem and uh, tell me if there's some <laughs> bullshit uh, we can, so we can work it out because I don't really have the time to, to kind of pussyfoot around it. Uh, and so we, you know, we, we got a really good working relationship pretty early where, you know, we can pretty curtly be like, this isn't working, fix it. And uh, the other one will either respond proactively or they'll make a case as to why they made the choice they made and i think um, that's just just to cut in here i think that's been instrumental for picking up a six issue series uh together yep yeah yeah um being and able yeah, to and like, say that it's not working and being able to have mm -hmm. that open dialogue even if it's mm -hmm. just through email and not over the phone <laughs> just yeah. to be able to say that this isn't working or this is why i think it goes this way and and be able yeah. to, you know, get it done to both know that, you know, both the writer, it's a vision, you know, the, the writer's role is important, but it's a visual medium. The artist's role is, you know, very, very important. And you have to both have a voice, even if only one's writing the words. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Matt, I wanted to ask you in terms of like, you know, some of the stuff that you've done recently and, and essentially, you know, what it seems to be the eternal you know dieback type of universe um which i really like the eternal dieback i uh, thought it was a fascinating uh, kind of world that you know you've created but um what type of stuff do you want to continue to do with that i mean is this going to be like your sandbox with the eternal dieback to play in and and have more and more stories set in this world in this universe Absolutely. Yeah. The Eternal Dieback was actually supposed to be a story set in the future. So I have a main character of my quote unquote Rovers comics um, named Vivid the Deviation. And he was going to tie into where her story left off when I made it when I was like 17 years old. Um, but then I got more into thinking about how could I expand this and make this a real story? Where did Dieback come from? um i always think an origin story is important i know it's kind of overdone in the media but the reason it's overdone everyone loves an origin story um i think i've always had a, a really good uh visual language i'd say since since i was young um making comics and, and being able to read wilding scripts and, and transforming them into something you know dynamic and exciting and, and and you know slow and subtle in some some scenes um but as far as uh, the eternal dieback goes that's a, that's a character that i'm i'm absolutely just just thrilled to to 
be creating. I did the um, giant size first issue, which which was a hit on Kickstarter. I am working on issue number two. There nice. was a short. Uh, <laughs> there was a short. Um, I want to say like a black and white comic trailer that I put in the back of the the dieback issue one called uh, Madkin Phantom. Also working on a story with him um, and how he ties in to the Eternal Dieback and where they go in the entire universe. And it's it's I have this entire world mapped out. In, in all honesty, I don't think I've said it publicly, but I'd love to see the Rovers get a phone book. A phone book of comics that is just thick. It's <laughs> it's cheap paper. I, you know, I could I could beat my friend with the phone book, and it wouldn't leave a bruise like cops, or <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so I'm kind of just taking the rule of you know one for me, one for them. Them being Wilding, me being Eternal Dieback. There's a lot in store with that character, um, and the world at large really nice well yeah for anyone who's listening who haven't checked it out yet yeah definitely check out roverse comics and uh sign up for matt's newsletter and uh read the eternal die back uh i'll I'll try and put links in the show notes or when i when we we put this on the twitter or wherever else we we share these uh types of things oh by the way matt i've been kudos on the batman forever poster in the background Oh yes, <laughs> that's a favorite. I've had that for a long time. <laughs> um, so uh, Matthew, to get back to something you said, um, and in terms of, you know, started writing and doing Gail Simone's comic school, but but with your work at the museum and some of the other things, like why why comics? Why out of all the things in terms of if you want to write something, to want to explore something like what 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 brought you to comics why was was that the medium you chose well i mean i've always read them uh, mm-hmm. uh I, I often say to my mom uh one of the one of the biggest uh, uh biggest impactful moments in my life was when she uh, decided i could read comics because uh, initially they weren't in the house i, I didn't grow up with them uh, initially and i didn't like to read as a little kid uh and then i started reading comic books and i loved them and uh you know now i essentially read for 40 percent of my work and you know not, a lot of the time it's like 18th century you know pieces like documents that are <laughs> written in, in in 18th century hand uh not easy to read and i like doing it uh but i would never have gotten that point if it wasn't for comics so uh, i do love comics uh, as a medium uh, I've I've written a good amount of uh, prose fiction as well. Um, I like working in comics a little bit more for a couple of reasons. One, you don't have to worry as much about the grammar uh, in uh, in the in the actual document, uh, just in the just in the, the word bubbles. Uh, but also, I tend to to like uh, hiding hiding things in the visuals, um, and I I can't do that. Uh, when I'm when I'm writing prose, uh, there's a lot of clues to what's coming that are written into the into the panels uh, that are to me the most fun part of the story. Right? Is you know, we're we're doing another story um, called uh, uh, Man of the House at some point where you know the 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 ghost is is like in every shadow, um, and that's just something you can't relay in. In a, in a in a novel, but you can relate, right. or you can relate in comics, you can relate relate in film. 
so I, I like visual mediums. I'm just not a very good illustrator, so I have to keep hiring people. Uh, That's where I come in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and luckily, the Canadian dollar is not that worth that much, so I can, I can keep on. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> so, in terms of like reading comics currently, are you do you have do you, either of you have like are, are you are there series that you're like currently reading now that you're you know you you try and stay current with or is there are are you like going back and catching up on things? I came to I read comics as a kid a little bit, but I didn't really get back into comics until I'd say like ten years ago, and then it's just been catch up and every time somebody mentioned something it was like oh you have to read why the last man you have to read you know sandman you have to read this and you know you um, do have to so, read sandman that's absolutely true you have no, to read I, sandman i have I, that was one of the first <laughs> things i started with when i got back into comics i'd never read sandman so i did that read sandman love sandman that's, that's still in my tbr pile <laughs> i bought it because you mentioned it i'm like oh i got to read this but uh I don't know. I don't get to read as many comics as I'd like, to be honest. I'm too busy making my own. But I find, like, I'm currently kind of in between projects. I finished up the art on Freehands, and I haven't, like, really gotten the train moving. Like, it's going in my free time, but on mm -hmm. the Rover stuff. So I'm just kind of taking a breath and breathing and not being in the moment uh, or in the midst of a project. So I've been picking up a few things. I picked up... Uh, I haven't read it yet, but that Texas Blood, I Ooh, think uh, I love Gordon that, Phillips are amazing. Yeah, that's um, is that volume one. Yeah, volume one. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I picked I, up. I, uh, really good. good choice. What is this one? Uh, Frank Frazetta's Death Dealer. Um, kind of, kind of cool. I gotta say, uh, remind makes me want to do more dieback. Um, yeah, not nice. too much. One of the one of the better series that I read recently was the uh, Marvel's Thor. Um, I'm not quite caught up, but I read the first twenty issues or so. That was good. And then, um, who else is doing good stuff? Countless great independent stuff. Um, Falhound's book. Um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of them come to mind to be honest a lot of cool stuff mm -hmm. out there no oh, yeah i mean it's like uh anybody who says they can't find something that they like in comics i just yeah it's no matter what no matter what it's like an embarrassment of riches for comic book fans um yeah. wilding how about you you reading anything yeah uh so i'm, I'm not reading a ton of current stuff um because i i found that i i'm not equipped to keep up with with uh with story arcs anymore uh, mm -hmm. when they come come out monthly so uh i tend to wait until they they their the story arc is done and then i either buy up the issues or i, or I buy up a, a graphic novel uh lately i've been reading a lot of i've been trying to get through Genji ito's catalog uh which has been pretty fantastic uh he's scary as hell and does uh does something that i really like to do uh he he, he has really kind of slow paced horror um, or as or as Matt uh, characterized it at one point, a, a lot of uh, sitting at a uh, sitting at a table and talking, which uh, <laughs> I hear is super fun to draw, but was very important to some of my work. Um, but uh, so I I've been reading a lot of that. Um, I, uh, I I I got to give a shout to my boy Mike's work. Uh, I, I have been reading Double Walker, which has been very good uh, so far, um, and. Other new stuff that, that I, I've, I've just started dabbling in is uh, I'm still trying to get through the first 12 issues of Department of Truth. 
um, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah. Just I, I want to savor it, so I'm reading like an issue every oh. month. Yeah, I really uh, like uh, I really like Department of Truth. It's James um, Tinian and uh, Tinian, yeah. Martin Simmons, mm-hmm. and then the other yeah. Double Walker, Michael. For anyone that isn't uh, wants to know, it's it's Michael W. Conrad and Noah Bailey. Noah Bailey, yeah. And they also did Tremor Dose, uh, which, which highly great. recommend both of those. Yeah. Yeah. You remind me of, um, sorry, my book of the year, though, is The Last House on the Lake. I don't know if either of you guys are reading that. Nice House I mean, on the Lake, yeah. yeah. Nice House on the Lake, yeah. yeah. Friggin' spectacular. Yeah, I yeah, have no, I pile. totally, yes. I'm sorry, what'd you say? The I just it was on my it. pile. Oh, oh no. it's on your pile, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, um, totally, uh, that's another uh, James uh, uh, Tinian book with, um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to blank on the artist's name, and I feel terrible about that. Uh, I'll I'll splice it in. <laughs> but um, yeah, totally not what I expected. Uh, but but very interesting take on the uh, on on a a horror story for I I don't even know if that's the right genre for it. It certainly has elements of it, but there's mm-hmm. um a lot more to that story. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for me, it's the it's it's not just the horror; it's the it's the weird weirdness that a lot of these folks are putting out, like Tinian, or like I haven't read either of Conrad's books yet, but both of them seem to align in that kind of oh, that's different kind of comic yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there really yeah. is. Uh, yeah, there really is so much good stuff out there, and especially in like the crowdfunding space. I, I mean, so many creators are just doing really. Fun things, really interesting things, really you know scary things. So, um, but to you know, circling back to free hands, um, it, how long? When is the campaign until? Uh, it is till July sixth at uh, at nine fifty nine p.m. All right. So, um, by the time you're listening to this, you still should have uh, plenty of time to go and back and check out free hands um uh what what matthew and matt have called pirate noir which um is absolutely fascinating and it's uh it's really great um so i don't know just uh i don't want to take up too much of uh your time gentlemen but um uh you know final thoughts about free hands and about why people should pick it up yeah uh matt you want to you want to try and pitch it i'd love to hear your pitch why, why should i read free hands matt Rowe? <laughs> you should re- read free hands for my art honestly i'd right. probably just skip over most of the uh the dialogue and text it's not very sure. good um but yeah. the visuals in it striking beautiful amazing colors um really cool <laughs> scenes pirate noir like uh, jimmy said and yeah honestly it's just it's amazing yeah i feel like um it's a it's just it's a good it's a good entry level or uh, entry point for uh for historical fiction uh that has a pretty solid research base in it but it's still it's you're still going on an adventure with with the characters uh Mm -hmm. there's a mystery to solve throughout the series uh it takes you all over the atlantic uh from the america from the american the 18th century american coast to the caribbean uh to the african coast uh and back uh it has a, a ton of great historical referential stuff, but it's also a story that's unique to itself. Um, and it, it speaks to the time without uh, without being too heavy handed, I hope. 
it does. Yeah, it's, no, a, it's a really beautiful story. And um, the Kickstarter, we have uh, we have a great entry um, here for anyone looking to get into the book or the series, actually, sorry. Um, $5 digital, $5 physical. Check it out, whatever your cup of tea is there. Yeah. And yeah, then plenty I, of other opportunities to to put in more if you wanna if you wanna go big. If you wanna get yes. some original Matt Rowe art, whew, it'll it'll be smoking. I don't think you put that tier up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 75 bucks. Did you? We sold two of them. Oh yes. Yeah, I saw that. Never mind. Never mind. There you go. No, I I wanted to ask though, uh, you know, in terms of research and I, I mean Matthew, I know you, you've talked about your background and in, in terms of at uh, revolutionary spaces. And yeah, there is, uh, I, I would say that there, the, the it, it does feel, you know, as though there's been quite a bit of research, but, you know, from Matt, from your end, in terms of, you know, maybe familiar with pirates in terms of, you know, pop culture types of things, but which might be very different from historically accurate pirates or ships. You know, you're talking about, um, I think it's the sloop Marie. Um, yeah. Is the ship is mentioned in terms of like the look of that and and what that would look like? Did did Wilding send you stuff or was he just like you know just Google it, Matt? Just yeah. did you have to do a lot of visual research into to get these things you know you know accurate? Honestly, I'm so bad at that. You just named the ship. That's the first <laughs> time I've heard of it. That's the first time I heard the name. I thought it was just <laughs> called the Freehands. It becomes um, the freehand, yeah. Yeah, no, most uh, <laughs> most of it always just comes from up here. I googled a couple ships, a couple hats, actually. I did a study on hats, like I mentioned. Um, guns, maybe. But no, most of it comes from, from my head and the script, of course. Um, yeah, we, just, we, uh, I, I had sent yeah. some primaries initially uh, as well, mm -hmm. some, engra some engravings of ships and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And talked about a little bit of clothing. But we did have a conversation pretty early on about um not being too too reliant on 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 like super super specific historical right. accuracy on clothes because it's like you know at, like I, I know what's wrong about about the suits and like the guns and whatever because it's my job uh but um, most people are just looking for a cool adventure story so if someone's wearing a flat brimmed hat uh and and has a mustache that's a little off it's like well that's a little arbitrary uh, when it for to complain about because it's distinguishing the character from mm -hmm. other characters. So yeah, I mean, but the I would I mean I wouldn't know as somebody who you know I didn't notice I the the clothing looked accurate to me like everything looked you know great it, when I I'm thinking this is the time period right it's mm -hmm. 18th century and yeah i mean part of it gave me a stroke you know. but i knew it was my own problem <laughs> i was like i'm just being a little bit of a baby here <laughs> he called he called me out on a couple of things specifically it's like page seven there's a tower and he's like it wouldn't be that tall so i working digitally i, I squished it down a little bit and i'm like that ruins the composition of the page entirely so All i bumped right. it up a little bit more <laughs> right Half, happy medium yeah well now yeah, I mean, we just we, we, we make compromises a lot um and you know we we make cases for the things we need right there's there are certain hills i'm gonna die on uh because there are details that that need to be there for later issues right but if it's right. not you know i'm not gonna you know there's a ship there's a ship that has the wrong number of masks at one point nobody cares you know right <laughs> well no i mean but there, it's true like you have to make those decisions between it well matt said it you have to make those decisions between what is 
historically accurate and what is, you know, what might mess with the, the composition of the particular panel. Speaking as someone who has done a, a little bit of writing and definitely gets in the weeds on like Googling things, it's like, oh, I've just spent an hour looking up something that nobody else will absolutely notice. I'm like, that's what the writers to... do though you guys right. got to do that you you need to put that info in the script so we don't have to google it right. <laughs> we so have to trust a... you guys you guys have to trust us what it needs to that's what needs to happen so yeah. when i was younger i was a tour guide that was my first job in, in history museums uh or in the history like industry so i was a colonial costumed freedom trail tour guide right so dressing in colonial period costumes screaming on the streets of boston uh to tourists all day and um people often called me a reenactor and i wasn't a reenactor i was a tour guide uh and i promise there's a reason i'm telling this story um <laughs> so the difference between reenactors and tour guides is tour guides are putting on a costume to draw attention to themselves so you'll buy a ticket and then they can tell you a story about american history right uh, whereas a, a reenactor cares about the specific stitching and detail and buttons and shoes uh, of of their of their clothes uh, we we kind of uh, impolitely referred to them as button counters um, but the goals of those two things are different uh, similarly, yeah. you know, I, when I do history work, actual, you know, academic work or museum work, I make sure right. that we're not depicting things incorrectly to the best of my ability. But this isn't, this is a gateway to history. This is just a, this is a fun thing that yes. maybe will, will prompt somebody to be like, I should learn more about 18th century history. This sounds kind of interesting. Or maybe they'll just be like, I like pirates. This was cool. So mm -hmm. it, it just isn't, it isn't worth it to, to have that kind of, yeah. Um, and that's something i want to put emphasis on from the white the artist standpoint as well as it, it, it is comics and getting into the nitty-gritty details is all well and good until you spend an entire day getting that one panel right or you spend a week just trying to do one page you know this this stuff does need to get done for the most part people are going to look at that panel and go oh okay the next one right you know spend two or three seconds looking at it so it's just there's compromises, like you said. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're making a lot of sense, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, ha Hamilton isn't isn't perfectly accurate either, guys. Yeah, we, they, what? they took some liberties. I don't. Uh, don't those Skylar sisters have a brother. No. <laughs> Next, you're going to yeah. tell me the Star Wars is inaccurate, whining. Just no, stop. That's, that's accurate. That's 100 percent true. Everything in Star Wars happened a long yeah, time it's ago. All, it's all part of the hero's journey. <laughs> <laughs> um oh all right well on before i break out in song uh now that somebody mentioned hamilton um i thank you both uh very much for coming on the comic book yeti cryptid creator corner podcast uh and I, what was I, that what was the name of that uh it's the comic book yeti cryptid creator corner podcast until Great. sorry one more time <laughs> the comic book yeti cryptid creator corner podcast and i swear i'm changing the name <laughs> I don't care how many downloads or how many tens of subscribers, um, but I care about every one of you listening to this because I like doing this. Um, but no, uh, Matthew Wilding, Matt Rowe, thank you very much for coming on tonight. This was a blast to talk to both of you. I thoroughly enjoyed Three Hands. I mean, you know, I like the Eternal Dieback, Small Bites, Nightmare Man. Like, I'm a big fan, so it's nice to be able to 
uh, to talk to you both. Um, and I encourage everyone go check out the Kickstarter. It is very it, look for like for five bucks you can get the digital comic or get it print in print if that's your thing, and um, you won't be disappointed to start on this journey. And um, uh, yeah, so for Comic Book Yeti, this is Jimmy Gasparro, and uh, have a good night, and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> this is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.